Romans 13, verses 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today, Paul calls those who would be hearing this letter in Rome to wake, to wake up from their spiritual slumber and to put on Christ, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a garment, like stepping into a pair of pants, like putting on a coat. There is an urgency in his words. It's, it's like he's saying, listen, we don't have time to mess around here. Like we have work to do. We have things to accomplish. We have things that the Lord has given us. So wake up and, and like put on your clothes and let's go. And let's remember the church in Rome has struggled. They've struggled relationally. We've talked a lot about this because there's this clashing of cultures going on. There are Jews, there's Gentiles, there's rich people, there's poor people. And while toleration might seem like the way to go, can we just get along with each other? Can we just tolerate each other? Can we be a little patient with each other? While that might seem like the most reasonable or doable thing for the church, both then and now, to just tolerate each other, Paul is actually calling people to an even higher standard. It's not like, can you just like, do life together and not fight all the time? No, it's, it's even greater and bigger than that. And, and what he's doing here is he's calling the people to pursue godly love for each other. Godly love, Christly love for each other. And remember the love of Christ that he's talking about here, as we've talked about in weeks past, is this Greek word agape, agape love. I, I remember hearing about this when I was a kid growing up in the church. I would hear about agape love, and there's this philos love, and I remember like Bible stories about this. But that's the word that's being used here when we talk about the love of Christ. It is this agape love, which is not romantic love. It's, it's not like emotion-based love. Rather, it is self-sacrificing love. It is self-sacrificial love. That is the primary context for agape in the Greek language. So, so he's not saying here, Roman church, I really want you to be nice to each other and be friends with each other and get along. He does say that here in Romans, just not right here. He's calling them to self-sacrifice for their brothers and sisters in Christ to self-sacrifice in the way of Christ for their brothers and sisters. So there's a big difference between just tolerating each other and like actually actively practicing agape love. 
And the difference is that only one of those things actually fulfills the law, according to this text, and many others. Only one kind of love actually fulfills the Mosaic law. Look with me at verse 8. He says, owe no one anything. He's building off of where we left off. If you remember last week, we talked about politics and government and authority figures. And he kind of wrapped up that text by saying, look, guys, pay your taxes. Like, pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Give money to whom money is owed. Give respect to whom respect is owed. But, but here's what he says. He says, here's a debt that never goes away. Here's a debt that never goes away. You're never going to pay this off. Owe no one anything except to love each other. So there is this debt of love, Paul says, that we as followers of Jesus Christ owe to each other. And it's a debt that never ends. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. And he means the Mosaic law, the law that we read about in the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The Ten Commandments is a part of that, and we see some of that this morning as well as we're walking through this. And so here again, he's pulling directly from Jesus, right? Last week, we saw that Paul pulled directly from the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's still, he's, he's echoing the words of Jesus. Um, one place we could look is in Matthew 22. This is Jesus and an exchange he has. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Or another way to say that is like on this, all of those things, the law and the prophets, which was kind of a euphemism for the Old Testament, what we think of as the Old Testament. Everything you read in the Old Testament can be summed up in those words. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend, or some, some translations will say rest. Like It's like this is what bears all of those things, is that we love. But, but how? Like What is this love that we're talking about here? This is where actually digging into the original languages um, helps us to a certain extent. Paul also echoes these words later in Galatians, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, as we think about this today, recognizing that just a few moments ago, we confessed that we have not done this, right? God, I have not loved you with my whole soul, my whole mind, my whole strength. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. Forgive me. Help me amend what I am so that I might do this better. Teach me how to love. Teach me what it looks like. Help me to understand it. Help me to live it. Help me to do it. So both Jesus and Paul are telling us that the true impulse behind seeking to be obedient to the law or seeking to keep the Ten Commandments, it shouldn't simply be obligation. It shouldn't simply be because God told me to or because I think I'm supposed to. It also shouldn't be fear of consequences. Like, it should be love. So, so why is it that you don't murder people, right? Why is it that you don't steal things from other people? Is it because you love them so much? 
Or is it because you're afraid of what could happen to you if you did those things? Are you afraid of the consequences? Are you doing it out of obligation? Or is it out of love? This is where things can get confusing for us. As we've talked about before, multiple words in the Greek language for love. Um, I think the Greeks had at least seven different words for love. And we will recognize some of the nuances between and among these words. And yet for us, we have one word that we use for all of these things that we're going to unpack and talk about this morning. To take this principle and apply it to our lives, we could ask a question like this. Have you ever lied to someone you love? Have you ever lied to someone you love? Have you ever disrespected or dishonored your parents whom you love? Well, this principle would say, then you don't really love them. You don't really love them. If you lie to someone, you don't love them. If you covet something someone else has, you don't love them. If you commit adultery, you don't love them. But we would possibly say, no, I do. I do love them. But it's because we're using the same word for two different things. So often when we say we love someone, we are talking about an emotional feeling. We're talking about affection. In other words, when we talk about love, most often we are talking about how we feel and not about what we do. We're talking about how we feel and not what we do. And this is why things can get confusing when we read a text like this. So the Greeks would call that emotional love. We've already mentioned it. Well, first of all, I'll write this. Agape. The Greeks would call this emotional or affection-based love philos. What's interesting is out of all of these Greek words that I'm going to mention today, these are actually the primary two, if not the only two, that are actually found in the New Testament. Most often when we see the word love in the New Testament, we're seeing the word agape. So the Greeks would call this affectionate love, this emotional love, philos. Another one you may know is more romantic love, sexual carnal love. That's eros. Think of the word erotic. That's the root of that. Um, so those are probably three of the biggest ones. Philos often relates to the concept of friendship. In the New Testament. So when the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners, that's the word that's being used there. You could easily translate that in saying that Jesus was a lover of sinners, but that would potentially like mean something different to us if we said that Jesus was a lover of sinners. That same phrase could be rendered um, in, a, in a variety of different ways, but it could sound off to our Western ears. Uh, back in Romans 12, Paul used the word philos when he said this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So Paul has already called people to love, but it's a different love that he's talked about, right? He's called them to friendship with each other, to this affection, emotional, I want you to feel kindly and friendly towards each other. I want you to be buddies. I want you to like have great community with each other. I want you to love each other in that way. But here, he's not talking about agape, right? He's talking about philos. Now, interestingly, there are two other Greek words. One of those we've already mentioned is the word eros. That's that romantic love. Another one is this stergo. And stergo is 
Um, it's more like natural love, like the natural affection that you feel for your children, for example. Natural love between parents and children. Um, and a couple of things I'll mention about this. Again, only, only really these two words are found in the New Testament, so we don't find these in the New Testament. We find maybe examples of them, but we don't see the actual words in the New Testament. And when it comes to this uh, Sturgo-type love, um, we've experienced the difference, right? Like, we've experienced in our lives the difference between these things. So like moms, you know that there is a difference between the kind of love you have for your children and the kind of love you have for your husband. Like those are different things. There's nuance there. With, with your children, hopefully, like your love for your children was just instantaneous and natural. Like, that, like it's impossible for you to not love them. Whereas with your husband or with your wife or with your spouse, it's something that progressed over time. Like more than likely, you did not feel that natural, immediate, I will die for you type love that you feel for your children with your spouse. And the Greeks would go, well, of course you didn't. Those are different things, right? Those are different things. But we, again, we use the same word for all of those things, right? And so it gets real kind of like jumbled up and confusing for us. So we've experienced these different kinds of loves. We recognize them as different things, but again, we're using one word. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not talking about Sturgo. Praise the Lord, he's not talking about Eros, right? He's not even talking about Philos. He's talking about Agape. So he's not saying, I want you to be friends with your neighbors, or even I want you to be kind to your neighbors. He's saying, I want you to be self-sacrificing in the same way that Jesus was self-sacrificing when it comes to your neighbors. When you read John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we're reading about agape, love. You're reading about a love so intense that it led the Father to give His only Son as a sacrifice for the good of those whom He loves. And then He says, go and do likewise. So here's the thing. When we're talking philos, we're talking feelings. When we're talking agape, we're talking action. We're talking doing right? For God so loved the world that he did something, right? He sacrificed his only son. So think about self-sacrificing agape love in the context of like the Ten Commandments. Each command is a call for you to sacrifice and for me to sacrifice something on the altar of love. So don't commit adultery. Like, here is this call for you to sacrifice temptation, fleshly desire on the altar of love for your spouse. When it comes to stealing, when it comes to lying, here's you sacrificing maybe even like your attempts to um, preserve yourself on the altar of love for another person. 
I'm not going to lie to you, even if it means something bad for me, because I love you, right? When it comes to honoring your father or your mother, like I'm sacrificing my desire to be right, my desire to demean you or belittle you, my desire to dishonor you. I'm sacrificing that on the altar of love. And Paul talks about this in the New Testament as well. He goes, how do we know that Jesus loves us? We know because while we were sinners, he died for us. We don't know it just because he said it. We don't know it simply because we read it in the pages of Scripture. We know it because we've seen the action of love. We've seen the work of love. We've seen the doing of love. So here Paul contrasts agape love in, this, in our text today. He contrasted agape love with what he calls the works of darkness. So notice he said, do this, but then don't do these other things, right? He calls them works of darkness. He says to take on the armor of life. And I think it's safe for us to say that the works of darkness are simply the absence of humble, others-focused, Christly, agape love in favor of arrogant self-love, like self-centered me-centered love, which there's another Greek word for that kind of love, and it's the word philatia. Philatia, the Greek word for self-love, and, and this is a word, again, that we don't see in the New Testament, but we find it in Greek literature, and it's almost always presented in the negative, it's almost always seen as a negative thing. Um, we might call it narcissism today, which is viewed negatively. But we also might call it self-care and view it positively. And guys, this is where the gospel flies in the face of a lot of like modern pop psychology. Modern pop psychology says something like this. You cannot love anybody until you first love yourself, right? You can't love anybody until you first love yourself, whereas the gospel says, listen, you can't love anybody. Like, if we're talking about agape love, you can't do that. You actually don't have the ability to do that outside of Christ, right? So if you really want to embody the kind of love that the Scriptures are talking about when they call you to love your neighbor as yourself, then we're talking about the kind of love that you really cannot give until you experience and are compelled by the love of Christ. This is why Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. You can't do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit empowers you to sacrifice yourself for the love of others. To not be so philatia, so self-focused, right? That you can't act out the gospel. That you can't demonstrate the gospel for other people. So we're talking about different kinds of love here. Modern psychology, the notion of self-love, is way more about philos than agape. It's, it's emotion-based. It's feeling-based. Being kind to yourself. Being friendly to yourself. And also, since we're talking about the Ten Commandments, we're talking about self-care, notice self-care is built into the Ten Commandments. 
It's called the Sabbath. Like that's what God has given us from almost the very beginning, not only in word, but also in deed. What's so fascinating about Sabbath is like it isn't this narcissistic self-focus to the exclusion of others. Sabbath is all about resting in the goodness and provision of God. It's about real rest, real rejuvenation. It's not a spa day. It's not a glass of wine on the patio of your beach house, right? The difference is Sabbath rest is as much about your soul as it is about your body. Sabbath rest is as much about your soul as it is about your body. And and guys, what so many of us are craving and never get is soul rest. And that's why you can go, well, I'm going to get away for a few days, But then you come right back, and and it feels like nothing has changed. And it's because you can go sit and do nothing for a few days and look at beautiful scenery and eat good food, and yet there is still something that is not satisfied within you. There's still something that hasn't changed, and it's that your soul has not rested. And that's what Sabbath is all about. That's why the Lord gave it to us. He knew we needed it. Jesus says it's for you, not you for it. It is for you. So often self-care is presented as primarily being about the mind and the body. Getting a massage will not rejuvenate your soul, right? Practicing meditation outside of Christ will not rejuvenate your soul. The thing that we all desperately need is Sabbath. Uh, John Mark Comer, whose book we're reading for book club this next go round, and I'll, if you haven't heard about that, I'll tell you about, uh, tell you about it in a little bit. Um, he takes note of the fact that God has to command rest for us. You ever thought about that? That God has to command a day of rest? You would think we would all just want to, like we would desire it and make provision for it. And yet he has to command us to do it. He also notes that it is the only commandment that God really gives like an explanation for. So if you're reading through the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. But when when we get to Sabbath, it gives us an explanation for it. And it says, because this is what God did. Because on the sixth day, he rested. It's also the only spiritual discipline in the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Ten Commandments really is, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But here's, do this. Rest on the Sabbath. So, let me read you this. This is from his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, does that strike you as odd that God has to command us to rest It's like commanding ice cream or live music or beach days. You would think we'd all be chomping at the bit to practice the Sabbath. But apparently, there's something about the human condition that makes us want to hurry our way through life as fast as we possibly can to rebel against the limitations of time itself. Due to our immaturity, dysfunction, and addiction, God has to command his people to do something deeply life-giving, rest. 
So Paul says we have to throw off all of this self-focus, all of this philatia. We have to throw it off. And, and like, it's this self-focus that's leading us not to self-sacrificing love, but instead is leading us to drunkenness and sexual impurity and jealousy and fighting and all of these things that he's talking about. That doesn't come from agape, right? That's, it's the opposite. It's these works of darkness, Agape isn't jealous of anyone. Agape does not harm anyone. Agape love isn't fighting to get its way with anyone. Agape love isn't cheating on its wife. And and Paul says the reason why we have to put off all of these things is because we have work to do. Right? Like, wake up. Like, the day is dawning. The hour is approaching. We have stuff to accomplish. There's urgency to the moment and the task at hand. And he makes this statement. He says, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And he's not saying that justification is something yet to be received. He's saying that the moment when we get to fully be with the Lord in his kingdom, when we get to fully experience his presence is closer now than it's ever been. It's closer now than when we first trusted in Christ. So let's not sit around and be lazy. Let's not neglect to love our neighbors in the way that Christ has loved us because that is what he has sent us to do. What are you doing? Why would you not be doing this? Don't you realize like time is ticking? So this is our mission. We say this is the mission of our church, the purpose of our church, declaring and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus in all of life. What stops us from doing that? Self-focus. Self-focus. It's not agape that stops us. It's philatia. Agape propels us out. Agape sends us. Agape leads us to self-sacrifice, and not just for those who are deserving of our self-sacrifice, but to all who are our neighbors. This is why he says we have to put on Christ. Don't wake up in the morning and put on you and try to go do this, because you will fail. Wake up, put on Christ like it's a suit. He calls it the armor of light. Fill yourself with his word. Like rest in it. Meditate on it. Feast on it. Pray. Seek the Lord through spiritual disciplines like fasting and silence and solitude. Like prepare yourself for the work that he has for you. That you might truly go out wearing Jesus, practicing his way, loving sacrificially in the way that he has loved us. Let us pray. Jesus, you are good, and we thank you for your grace and love. Father, I pray that your word would not return void today, but rather, Father, that you would communicate your truths into our minds and our hearts. God, help us not only to hear audibly, but help us to truly hear and understand. 
so that we might repent, so that we might change and turn from the path that we were on and veer more and more onto your path. And yet, Lord, we recognize we cannot love in this way without you. Give us your grace and your Holy Spirit. Teach us obedience. Teach us humility. God, may we find great joy in meekness. And may we seek your face with the same mantra that John the Baptist uttered. May we decrease so that you might increase. We give these things to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.